Hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Grace here at the Medina East Campus. We are super, super excited to have you here uh, with us here this morning, and especially if you are a guest. Uh, we really just want to take a moment and extend a very special welcome to you. Thanks for being with us uh, here this morning. My name is Tony. I'm uh, one of the pastors here on staff at Grace Church. If we uh, have not had a chance to personally meet, I hope we can change that and be hang out in the cafe afterwards, and, and please stop me. Uh, love to, to meet you, hear your story a little bit, and how you got to Grace, and uh, we just love to have an opportunity to do that. Hey, before we jump in today, uh, there's a couple quick things I wanted to just kind of reiterate. Sarah Beth mentioned a moment ago, uh, we are really excited around here uh, about Easter coming up here in a couple weeks. And uh, as you heard, we're going to have six different service opportunities to get connected to that. And I wanted to just kind of remind you, Sarah Beth mentioned that there are some invite cards uh, that we have that are out at the cafe. And, uh, and you can grab those after, afterwards if you'd like to. Uh, many of you know, and I, I kind of mentioned this last week, but many of you know Easter is oftentimes a time where people who are not typically connected to a church or maybe people who uh, are not really connected to, to God in any way are willing uh, to get connected to a church. And so I just wanted to encourage you, if you happen to know friends or family or coworkers who are not going to church anywhere or maybe are people who are kind of interested in the whole God conversation, I would encourage you to use this as an opportunity to invite them. Uh, I told you last week that I'm really excited about the series we're starting uh, on Easter, uh, that weekend of Easter. It's called If Jesus Rose from the Dead. And I'm excited about that series, not just because it's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is exciting, but it's really because it's a series that is geared uh, towards a person that's investigating Christ. And so if you are a person that's investigating Christ, or if you know someone who is, that's a great opportunity uh, to invite. The other thing I wanted to mention about Easter is if you could do me a big favor, if you're a part of the Medina East Campus family, so if you call Grace Church home, um, I just wanted to let you know that uh, historically what we have found is that the most popular services that we have on Easter tend to be the later ones on Sunday. And so I wanted to encourage you, if you're able to, I know not everyone's able to, you've got plans and stuff like that, but if you're able to relocate your family to one of our earlier services, so either on Saturday night or to the 8 o'clock service on Sunday morning, that would actually be tremendously helpful in helping to open up some seats uh, for, for guests and those who might not be connected as they are more likely to go to some of those later services. So if you can, that would be awesome. If you can't, that's no big deal. Not a big deal. It's just that if you go to an earlier service, Jesus loves you more. That's it. But outside of that, um, no, nah, I'm just joking, but, uh, but I just want to let you know about that. So excited about it. Um, Today, we're actually finishing a series. If you've been with us, uh, we've been in it for the past about three weeks that we've been calling More and More. And in this series, what we've been doing together is we've actually been looking at three very clarifying questions. We've been kind of asking and we've been reflecting on these questions. And we said that these questions are really helpful because they, they help us align the vision of our lives with what we believe we said is the vision that God has for our lives, right? So we've been looking at these three questions. We call them the More and More questions. And so if you missed that, let me just review with all of us here together. Here are the more and more questions uh, that we've been thinking through and considering together in this series. So number one, the first more and more question is, am I loving Jesus more and more? Okay, am I loving Jesus more and more? Here's the second question we're thinking through together. Am I loving who Jesus loves more and more? Am I loving the people who Jesus loves more and more? And then here's the final question we're thinking through. Am I living for the things that Jesus lived for more and more? Am I living for the things that Jesus lived for more and more. And again, again, the reason we said that these questions are so important and we believe that they're worth your consideration uh, is because we said that here's the thing that's true about every single one of us in this room. One of the things that's true about every one of us in this room is that our lives are becoming more and more of something. Right? Your life, my life, it is accumulating, right? With every day, 
with every action, with every habit that we enact, our lives are, they have a trajectory and they're adding up to something. We are all becoming more and more of something. And so the real question is, are we becoming more and more of the things that God wants us to become more and more of? And so we said these questions are so important because we believe they really get to the heart of God's vision for what he would like us to become more and more of. And so that's what we've been talking about last couple of weeks. We focused on these first two questions. Today, as we finish this series, we're actually gonna spend our entire time really focusing on this final question. And so we're, together, we wanna contemplate, wanna consider, wanna reflect on this question, and that is, am I living for the things that Jesus lived for more and more? Am I living for the things that Jesus lived for more and, and, and more? We're gonna be talking about that. Now, before we jump into this, I think it's worth reiterating that uh, this question, we need to remember, it comes last, Okay? It comes last. And the reason that's important is because if you've been with us in the past couple of weeks, you know these questions are actually intended to build on each other. And so when you go through one, it's supposed to build on to the next one, build on to the next one. And so the reason that's important is if you missed the past couple of weeks, I would really encourage you. You're going to want to go back. You're going to listen to those messages, maybe podcast that. You can watch it on our website. All of that's for free. But that lays a really important foundation before we get to, to this third question. But this is the question that we're going to be looking at and considering today. Am I living for the things that Jesus lived for more and more? And because this is a question that we're considering I think it might be helpful just to get our minds around it if maybe I rephrased it a few different ways. All right, so let me just rephrase the question for our consideration. So here's another way to ask it, okay? could ask it this way. When you think about your life, for those of us who follow Jesus, and I know not everyone here today follows Jesus, but for those of us who follow Jesus, here's a way we could rephrase it. When you think about your life, do you find that in your life you are reflecting the priorities and the cares and the concerns of Jesus more and more? Like, do you find that those things are, here, here's another way I guess you could say it. For those of us who follow Christ, as a result of your commitment to Jesus, are you finding that your life is changing? Are you being transformed? Does your life look any different because of your commitment to Christ? Maybe I could ask it this way. If you want to get real practical, I could say it this way. When you think about your time, when you think about your gifts and abilities, when you think about your resources and your money, do those things reflect the priorities and the cares and the concerns of God, of Jesus, the things that he cared about, the things that he loved, the things that he lived for. Are you living for those things more and more? Now, not perfectly, right? None of us are gonna do that perfectly, but increasingly is the life of Jesus being lived in and through you uh, in, in your everyday life? That's the question that we're, that we're kind of thinking about together. And again, I think the reason this question is so important, especially for those of us who follow Jesus, is because it really gets to the heart of the matter, right? For those of us who follow Jesus, just think about it for a minute. Really what we're asking is, are we looking more like the guy that we say we're following? It's just a real practical question. I, I say I follow Jesus, but is that, am I actually reflecting his life and his priorities and his cares and his concerns more and more. And so here today, what we wanna do is we actually wanna spend our time as we kind of consider and reflect on this question, wanna spend our time talking about how. How can we become people who live for the things that Jesus lived for more and more? How can we do that? And so we're gonna spend our time kind of talking about that here today. And let me just say this too. If you're a person who's here and maybe you're investigating Jesus and maybe you're a person that's not a Christian and maybe someone kind of brought you out here today, they invited you for the first time and you're still trying to figure out the whole God thing, let me tell you why I think this question is worth your consideration, okay? Because you might be tempted to tune me out 
right? If you're a person that doesn't follow Jesus, you might see this question, and you might say, well, that's completely irrelevant to me, and so I guess I can just tune out this conversation because it's not for me. And I actually would encourage you not to do that. And the reason is because my hope is that in the span of today's conversation, that I can, I can help you understand why I believe that this question is worth your consideration, okay? So we'll get to that here in a minute, but here's the passage we're gonna go to as we start our conversation. I wanna encourage you to grab your Bibles, and together we're gonna turn to James chapter one, okay? So as we consider this question, we're gonna look together at the Bible, at God's word, James one, is where I'm gonna invite you to go with me. And so if you got your Bibles or if you brought a Bible, grab it. If you got a Bible app on your phone, open it up. Uh, you know, whatever, go to James chapter one. And then let me also say, if you didn't, if you didn't bring a Bible with you today, that's, that's not a problem. We actually have some Bibles that are out there for you. And you can turn in those black Bibles to page 847, and that's where you're gonna find James chapter one. Okay, so go ahead and get there. James is kind of a small little book in the New Testament, so it's kind of hard to find. So if you need to look in your table of contents to do that, there's no shame in that, all right? So, so James one, go ahead and find it, 847 is where we're gonna be going. And then let me just say, we say this all the time, but if, uh, if you're a guest with us and you don't have a physical copy of the Bible, we actually would love for you to have one. And so you can take one of ours, make that a uh, St. Patrick's Day gift from us to you. I don't know if that's how that works, but you can have a Bible, all right? So that's good. James 1, 847. Now, as you're finding James chapter one, let me just kind of explain to you again, what we're gonna find in James chapter one is James is, James is gonna explain to us one of the essential keys to becoming a person who lives for the things that Jesus lives for more and more, okay? He's gonna talk about one of the keys, one of the essential keys to becoming a person who lives for the things that Jesus lives for more and more. And this is very, very profound and very simple, but it's oftentimes missed. So let's take a look. James chapter one, we're gonna start off in verse 22. Here's what James says. Writing to a group of people who follow Jesus, James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. And now let's just pause there. Let's just pause here for a minute. All right, let's just think about this again. Very simple statement. Here's what James says. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. He says, you gotta do what it says. You gotta do what it says. Now, now this, this passage, what James is saying, such a simple statement, such a simple statement. Many of you are familiar with it, right? If you've kind of been around the church or if you're familiar with the Bible, you've probably heard this before. But I believe as simple as this statement is, this is unbelievably profound and powerful. And the reason I think that that's the case is because I believe what James is doing in this very simple statement is he's actually pointing out this really, really bizarre tendency that happens with those of us who follow Jesus. There is this weird thing that happens with Christians. And and if you're a follower of Jesus, you know this. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, you've probably seen this. In fact, this might be something that frustrates you about Christians, quite honestly. And that's this. It's this weird tendency that Christians can be people who listen to the word. And by the way, when he says the word, what he's referring to there is he's actually referring to the word of God or the words of Jesus. It it would be, this is one of the, the, the most famous ways that the Bible refers to the Bible. It talks about it as the word, the word of God, the word of Jesus, the words of teaching. But there's this weird thing that can happen where Christians can be people who listen to the word, hear the word, right? But then somehow deceive ourselves and we don't actually do it. It doesn't actually move into action. We, we become hearers, some of you might have translations to say that, of the word and not doers of the word. In fact, I thought it was, I thought it was actually really clarifying. Uh, the, the word that's used here for listen 
Uh, some of you have translations. Like I said, it says, uh, don't merely be hearers of the word, but doers also. Here it says, don't merely listen to the word. What I think is really fascinating is if you take that one word, listen, and you pull it back into the original language in which the New Testament was written, New Testament was written in Greek, and the word that's used for listen or hear is only used four times in the entire New Testament. It's a rare word. And I thought this was so clarifying. Here's what it literally means. The word listen literally means to, to hear something especially with the intent of pleasure or enjoyment, such as a song or a poem. That's, that's what it is. That idea of listening, this word that's used here, is the idea of listening to something, especially with the intent of pleasure or entertainment, such as like you would listen to a song or to a poem. See, and I think that's really clarifying, because just think about it for a minute. Just, just go with me on this. Think about the way that you listen to music. All right? How do you listen to music? If you got music that you really like, if you have you know, a band you really like or a song, a song you really like, how do you tend to listen to that? Now, of course, I can't answer that question for you because I don't know how you listen to music, but I can answer it for me. I can tell you how I listen to music. I happen to love music. Right? I love music. My, my whole family... My wife and I, we got three little kids. We got another one on the way. And we all love music. We got one of those Bluetooth speakers that sits in the corner of our kitchen. We got Alexa. We're constantly asking Alexa to play music. She's always playing music for us, right? We love music. I'll tell you how I listen to music that I like. Here's how I listen to music I like. I listen to it for entertainment, right? I listen to it for enjoyment. I listen to it because I like the way it makes me feel. I like the emotions that evokes. I like, I like that it, 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 it elicits an emotional response from me, right? I listen to music. Here's how I listen to music. I listen to music for enjoyment. That's how I listen to music. So if I'm driving on the road and I got the radio on or whatever and it's playing and a song I really like, like I really like, comes on the radio, you know what I do? You probably do it too. I do this. I go, mm-hmm, yes, I love this song, right? Maybe not that enthusiastically. But something, I'm like, mm, turn it up. And I turn it up, and then I jam out to it, right? I love it. I'll tell you how I listen to music. I listen to music for pleasure. I listen to music because it elicits an emotional response. It makes me feel good, right? It entertains me. That's why I listen to music. Here's how I listen to music. Maybe you do this too. If I find a song that I like, I will listen to it repeatedly. How many do that? Find a song you like, you kill it. You just listen to it. My wife is the worst at this. She finds a song that she likes, and she will play it over and over and over until all of us know it, all of us know the lyrics, we can all sing it, and then eventually we all hate it. Like, that's how it goes. It's like the, the, and that's how we listen to music. Repeatedly, we, we, can, we have the lyrics memorized, we enjoy it. Now, here's what James says. I think this is so enlightening. He says, there's this weird thing that can happen with Christians sometimes, where we simply, and just, not that it's a bad thing to, to enjoy God's word, and not that it's a bad thing to look at the teachings of Jesus and feel emotionally moved by those things. Not, not that I'm saying that at all. But he says that there's this weird thing that we can come to God's word and merely like, listen to it, deal with God's, music, God's word the same way we deal with music. That we come to it because it's, it's, it's entertaining or it's enjoyable or because uh, it's emotionally uh, somehow moving to us. Because, because when we, we listen to it in some way, it stimulates, um, it stimulates our thinking. Or, oh, that's, that's, very, that's very interesting. It's intellectually stimulating. And sometimes we can come to the word this way and merely this way, right? 
In fact, you can even hear it sometimes when you, for, for those of us who are like Bible people, if you ever had this happen, you're reading the Bible or you're hearing a sermon and you read something you really like or you hear a sermon you really like or I make a, maybe I make a point that really resonates and you do that thing, you know what I'm talking about? The same thing you do with music, you go, mmm, 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 mmm. You know what I'm talking about? If you're, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're probably like, I noticed you guys do that. That's weird. That's weird. <laughs> I don't know if you guys know Clark. Clark is on our staff here at Grace. He calls that Christian mooing. Christian mooing. It's like you make a point, like, mmm. Like, oh, was the sermon good? Yeah, lots of mooing today. Lots of Christian, mmm, right? You guys want to try it, don't you? Let's moo together. All right, let's do this. I'm going to read this. I'm going to read this verse, then afterwards, let's give our best moo. All right, let's try it out. So do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Mmm. Right, there it is. There it is, right? And, uh, and so this is what he says. He says a weird, weird thing can happen. A weird thing can happen is that we can be people who listen to the word. Now, again, it's a wonderful thing to, to enjoy that and to feel that. But he says there's a strange thing that happens where, where we can listen to that, but then we don't actually do anything about it. In fact, James is going to say that if we merely listen to the word, that is, if we come to the words of God and the teachings of Jesus, just the same way we approach music or something that we like to listen to, he says there's actually a real danger in it. And here's the danger. I think this is interesting. He says the danger is that you can actually deceive yourselves. You can deceive yourselves. Or you can, some of you have translations, says you can fool yourselves. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, here's what I think he means. Um, did you ever notice how, and maybe if you're a person that's been coming to church or reads the Bible, did you ever notice how sometimes when you read the Bible or sometimes when you hear a sermon or you're at a Bible study, that by looking at the Bible, you feel a sense of guilt, do you ever notice how that can happen sometimes, where you feel guilty? We, we'll, we, won't, we might not say guilty. We might say convicted, right? So let me just ask you real quick, show of hands, how many of you would say that there have been times that you've been listening to a sermon here, or you've been reading your Bible, or you've been in a Bible study, and as a result of that, that you felt a, a feeling of guilt or conviction? How many of you would say you felt that before? Okay, that's pretty much all of us. That's kind of a common thing that can happen when we come to the Bible, is we can feel convicted, or we can feel a sense of guilt. Now, here's the thing, though. Here's this weird thing that can happen. So strange. I think this is why James is so smart. This weird thing can happen that we can take that feeling, that feeling of guilt or that feeling of conviction, and we can actually look at that as if it is in itself a spiritually fulfilling experience. And so we can say, oh, man, you know what? I felt so convicted. I felt so convicted. And so that feeling in itself is like that must be in itself a spiritually fulfilling experience. And if I feel convicted or if I feel guilty, then man, that was like, that's like, we, we will equate God with guilt. Like, oh, I felt guilty. That must have been God. Like, wow, God was really moving. I felt so guilty today. And we'll say that that feeling in and of itself is a spiritually fulfilling experience. And so someone will ask you, they'll say, hey man, how was church this week? Or, you know, this, this, this last Sunday. And you'll go, oh man, it was, it was really great. Why was it so good? Oh, it was awesome. Let me just tell you, man, I felt so guilty. I mean, I was just so convicted. I mooed the whole service. It was just like, in fact, you got to listen to it. It was so good. I realized my life is just not adding up to what it ought to be, and I'm just not where God wants me. In fact, I'm going to send you the link to the sermon because I want you to feel just as guilty as I did. It was so great. It was wonderful, right? How was Bible study? It was awesome. Awesome. Why? I just felt like a loser. I... <laughs> heard about all this stuff God wants me to do, and I'm not doing it. And I was like, dude, I'm not doing any of that stuff. I was like, I feel so guilty. I can't wait to come back next week and feel guilty all over again, right? 
And this weird thing happens where we feel guilty, we feel convicted, and we say, oh, what a spiritually, oh, I felt so convicted. What a spiritually convicting experience. And then we do nothing until the next week when we get another dose of conviction or another dose of guilt. Now, again, again, it's a good thing to hear God's word. It's a good thing to be moved by it. It's a good thing to be convicted by it. I actually think that conviction is one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will will cause conviction. But here's what James says, and this is just so great, so, so simple. But he says, don't just listen to the things that Jesus says, the teachings of Jesus, the word of God. He says, and just deceive yourselves. He says, you actually gotta, actually gotta do something. Like you actually have to put something into practice. You actually have to take action with the hearing and with the convicting that has taken place. It should actually cause your life to really like legit change. Not, not, not just that you know more or not just that you feel worse about yourself. That's not the point. The point is that it's supposed to change you because otherwise you might be deceived. In fact, if I could put it in my own words, I think that I would phrase it this way. I think this is what James is saying. I think James is saying that the real difference, the real difference, life change, transformation is not found simply in the hearing of the word. It's not found simply in the knowing of the word. It's not found simply in feeling convicted by the word. It's actually found, and all those are fine things, by the way, but the real difference, the real life change that God desires for us, it's actually found in the doing. So we actually do something with what God has said to us, right? In fact, I think that's why James is gonna go on and I want, to sh- I, want you to show you, I want to show you what he does next. I think this is great. He goes on to give an illustration. I think this is brilliant, this illustration. It's almost, it's almost uh, comical. And I think it's actually intended to be kind of funny. But here's, here's what James says. He says, anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says. He says, it's like someone that looks at his face in a mirror. And then after looking at himself, he goes away and he immediately forgets what he looks like. Right? So here's kind of the silly, the silly illustration James gives. He's like, okay, he's like, okay, if you're gonna be a person that just listens to God's word and you just feel convicted by it and feel guilty, but then you don't actually do it. He says, this is what that's like. He says, you're like a guy that looks at his face in the mirror and then sees like all kinds of stuff needs to be changed, but then he immediately goes away and he forgets what he looks like. Some of you have translations that say he neglects it. He doesn't actually do anything. He just looks in the mirror, then he walks away. It's a really, really silly illustration he gives. But here's what I think is so helpful. Notice what James says here. He says that the word of God or the words of Jesus or the teachings of Jesus, that we shouldn't approach those things like a song or like music that's intended to entertain us. He says the way that we should approach it is like a mirror. It's more like a mirror. It's more like a mirror. See, and I think that's real helpful because think about it for a minute. Think about it. Why do you look in a mirror? Why do you look in a mirror? Just think about that for a second. Why do you look in a mirror? Some of, I mean, do you look in a mirror? Do you look in a mirror simply to enjoy the view? Is that why you look in a mirror? Some of you are like, oh, actually, yes, that is why I look in the <laughs> mirror. I just, I'm like, good to be king, right? That's what I do. And if that's the case, by the way, that's a whole different issue. And we'll talk about that later. We'll talk about vanity later on in another sermon one time. But now, most of us don't do that. We don't look in a mirror just to enjoy the view. Why do we look in I'll tell you how most of us come to a mirror. This is how I come to a mirror. My guess, this is how you come to a mirror. I come to a mirror every time expecting to change something. That's how I come to a mirror. I come to a mirror anticipating that I'm going to have to fix something. 
Right? Every single time. So I look in the mirror, and I'm like, oh, geez, man, why didn't anyone tell me? I got a thing hanging. I got a, you know, some kind of, why didn't anyone tell me about my face? Geez, you know, and, or whatever it is. And, and I come to a mirror expecting, I'm anticipating that I'm going to have to take action on something. I'm going to have to change something. That's how you interact with a mirror. Now, just think about this for a second. Just think about it. For, 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 you know, just even in this morning, how long did you look in a mirror this morning? Just think about that. Before you got here today, when you were getting ready, just ask yourself that question. How long did you look in the mirror? And I don't nudge anybody, because I know some of you are like nudging your teenager, and you're like, you spend way too much time like looking at the mirror all the time, and you're probably nudging your dad. You're like, you never look in the mirror. You should look in the mirror more often or whatever. And I, but, but think about it. How much time did you actually spend looking in the mirror this morning? And what, what did you do when you looked in the mirror, right? And here's the thing. I'm just going to guess. I think I actually know. I think I actually know how long you looked in the mirror. I think I actually know, because I know how long I looked in the mirror, right? Here's how long you looked in the mirror, my guess is. You looked in the mirror as long as it took to fix it. That's how long you looked in the mirror, right? So you probably got out of bed or whatever, and you probably like looked in the mirror. You're probably like, oh, wow, geez, I got to... And you probably started to go to work, right? You started to fix some stuff. You started to move some stuff. You started to pluck some stuff. Maybe you squeezed some stuff. You covered some stuff. You know, you trimmed some stuff. You did some stuff, right? You actually did some stuff because there was something that... In fact, some of you ladies, you have entire toolboxes dedicated to fixing it, right? You're like, oh, my gosh. And you're like masters. You go to work on that thing, and it's awesome. Us guys, we got to just work with what we got. It's terrible. But, uh, but that's what you did. You worked on it until it was better, or at least as good as it's going to get, right? That's what we did. That's how you look in a mirror. That's how I look in a mirror. And here's what James is saying. Man, it's so simple, but it's so good. Here's what he says. He says, man, that's the way that you got to approach God's word. You don't just approach it because it's intellectually stimulating. You don't just approach it because it evokes emotions and makes you feel more positive about your day. That's fine, by the way. But that's not what it is. It's a mirror. So here's what the Bible says about itself. Hebrews 4 it says, the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Listen to this. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of your heart. So the Bible says about the word, it says it's a mirror. And when you look intently into the words of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, the Bible says you see yourself for who you really are. You see who you are, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You see it all. You see the true motives of your heart. You see the things that you care about. You see all of that. And the Bible says this. It says that when you look into it, you actually see a picture of God's son. You see Jesus. You see what he lived like. You see what he cared about. You see what he gave himself to. You see the picture of God's son, and you see a picture of yourself, and you see that there is a big discrepancy between those two things. And he says, and it's a mirror. And when you look in the mirror, you don't look in the mirror just and look at it and go, wow, geez, and walk away. He says, no, you got to get to work. You got to do some stuff with God's strength and with God's help. You got to keep doing this. And this is why he's going to go on and he's going to say this. Look at this. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, that, that again would be the Bible. And when he looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, but doing it. They're going to be blessed in what they do. Notice what he says here. I think this is really great. He says, whoever looks intently, whoever looks intently and continues to do that. Uh, looks intently is another one of those words. It's real fast, a really rare word in the Greek used five times in the New Testament. And it literally means to stoop down or to bend over. It's the idea. It's this idea of like, I am really looking at this thing. 
Did you ever look in a mirror and there's something that needs a lot of work and so you bend over, like you bend over the counter, you're like, I gotta get that there, look, whatever. That's the picture that he's giving. He's saying, you gotta look into, he says, whoever looks intently into the mirror of God's word and continues to do it, it's not just a one-time thing. Think about how many times you look in a mirror in a given day, right? So it's a continual thing. Not forgetting, not neglecting what you saw, but doing something about it, doing something about it. He says, when you, when you live that way, And here's what he says, and I think this is so powerful. He says, you're gonna be blessed in what you do. You're gonna be blessed because of what you do. Why? Because it brings freedom. Because it brings freedom. Now, this is is where, okay, if you're a person who's investigating Jesus, if you're not a Christian, this is where, man, I think that this whole conversation is so important to you. It's important for all of us, but this this is why I think that this question Am I living for the things that Jesus lived for more and more is worth your consideration? Here's why. For those of you who don't follow Jesus, I think what you need to understand about those of us who do is for those of us who follow Christ, we actually believe that following Jesus, that obeying his commandments and doing the things that he desires for our lives, we actually believe that that is not burdensome. We actually believe that that is liberating. We actually believe that when we obey Jesus and when we follow him, that it's not restricting or restraining. We actually believe that it leads to freedom and it leads to a life that is blessed. That's what we actually believe. And I know that might sound so paradoxical to you because quite honestly, the way that our culture defines freedom, our culture defines freedom as unbridled self-indulgence. That's what freedom is. What is freedom? Freedom is me doing whatever I want. That's what freedom is. That's the way we define it, right? So what is financial freedom? Financial freedom is I have so much money, I can do whatever I want. What's free time? Free time is I have so much time on my hands, I can do whatever I want. But here's what those of us who follow Jesus believe. We actually believe that that is a false picture of freedom. That freedom is not just me doing what I want and living for myself. We actually believe that when you only live for yourself, it leads to not freedom, but it leads to slavery to self. And that in following and living for yourself, you actually lose yourself. And here's what we believe. We believe that following Jesus, that that losing my life and surrendering what I desire for what he desires, right? As weird as that might sound to you, even though that might be counterintuitive, what I want is not what Jesus wants. We believe that by following Jesus, that that is ultimately gonna lead us to freedom. It's ultimately leads to a life of freedom and to blessing that God wants for us. Now I was thinking about this, and I remember, I actually remember one of, the, one of the first times that this reality, that when you actually do and follow Jesus and do the things that he has commanded and the things that he's outlined in the Bible, that it leads to blessing and freedom. I remember one of the first times that that became a reality for me, and it was when I was about 18 years old. And so, uh, so when I was, some of you guys know my story a little bit. I actually uh, started following Jesus when I was 17. So I, I became a Christian when I was 17, started to follow Christ. And when I was 18, I actually went to Bible college. And so I went to a Bible college in Chicago. And let me just say it this way. My entire freshman year at this Bible college, I was immersed in the Bible, all right? I mean, I heard the Bible, Right? So we took Old Testament, New Testament survey. We took systematic theology, all kinds of these classes. And they were awesome. They were awesome. I, I learned so much. I knew so much about the Bible. I filled myself. I had heard the things that Jesus said. 
But then I remember it was about time for summer break, and we were getting ready to, 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 uh, to break for the summer, and I was up late uh, with a couple of upperclassmen talking one night, which was kind of pretty normal for us. So we were up talking and with these upperclassmen, and they asked me, they said, hey, man, they said, what are you going to be doing this summer? And so I told them, I said, honestly, I don't have any plans. I said, my hope is I'm going to go home. My, my whole agenda is to work as little as possible, sleep in as much as possible, and binge watch whatever with my friends. Like, that was my list, right? I was like, I don't, I just want to chill. I just want to do what I want to do this summer. And I'm like, that's cool. I said, what are you doing this? I said, what are you guys doing this summer to these two upperclassmen? And I never forget this. Both of these guys, they got real excited, real excited. Like, oh man, like we are going to have the best summer. We're so pumped up. And I was like, why? Are you guys going to, you know, take a big trip? Are you going to, you know, just like lounge around? They're like, no. They said, no, no. They said, we're actually going back to this summer camp that we worked at last summer. So last summer, we were counselors at this summer camp up in Wisconsin. It's a Bible camp. And they said, it was the best experience we ever had. So we're going back, man. We can't wait. They're like high five and they're excited about the whole thing. And I remember they said to me at one point, they said, dude, they said, you should come. They said, you should be a counselor with us. You should come up and be a counselor because they need counselors. And you just said you're not doing much this summer, so you should like so come up with us and do this. And I remember they were so excited. Their enthusiasm was so contagious that I was like, it's like, well, maybe I will. I said, maybe I will. I said, well, tell me about it. Tell me about it. I've actually never been to a Bible camp. I've never been to a summer camp for that matter. So I was like, why is it so awesome? Like, why are you guys so pumped up about it? Is you guys like get to do what you want whenever you want? And they were like, no, 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 no. They said, if you go and you do this, they said, you will work like a dog. And they said, man, you wake up. They said, every morning you wake up, 7 o'clock in the morning. They said, each week you have a different set of campers. And they range from preschool age to high school age. And so each week you get a different age group of campers. And they said, and you're responsible for those campers. So at 7 o'clock, you actually got to get up. You got to get them out of bed. And they're like laughing about it. They're like, some of the kids don't get out of bed. You like drag them out of bed. And they're like, and then you take them and and you you go up to the flagpole. You don't put the kid on the flagpole, but you take them to the flagpole. And they said, and you start the day by praying together. And then they said, then you break off for something called tag time, time alone with God. And everyone gets about a half an hour of tag time, depending on the age. Sometimes it's less time than that. And it says, then you come back, you actually serve your camper's breakfast. And they said, the rest of the day, you lead this group of students through activities. And so you swim, and then you boat, and you do you know, crafts, and you do Bible studies, and you do bonfires, and you do this, you know, this whole, all this kind of stuff. And they said, and by the time the day is finished, they said, you are so exhausted that by the time your head hits the pillow, you don't even realize that the beds are the most uncomfortable beds you've ever slept in because they were built like in 1793 or something like that. And I remember as they were talking about that, I remember looking at them and I was like, this doesn't sound very fun. I was like, that sounds terrible. <laughs> and I said, well, obviously you guys loved it. So like, is there really, is there like really fun stuff to do? Is there just like really great events and activities to like really neat things to do? And they're like, oh yeah, there's all kinds of stuff to do. I was like, well, like what? They're like, well, there's a field. <laughs> you could run around in that and do field-like activities. I said, there's a woods like trees and things and foliage and such. You can walk around the woods with the campers. And I was like, okay. And, and then they said, they said, there's a lake. Said, there's this big old lake. And they said, you can boat and we have a pontoon boat and there's canoes and you can swim. And I was like, well, that sounds fun. I was like, I like that stuff. That sounds really cool. And then they said, and they're, they're like laughing about it. They were like, oh yeah. So like in the lake, dude, like if you swim in it, there's this algae that grows in it. And they said, and you'll get this lake itch. 
And they're like, they're like laughing about it. They're like, remember last year? You got the lake-ish. It didn't like go away till Christmas. And they're like, oh, yeah, it was awesome. And as they went on to explain this camping experience, they went on and on and on. And I remember at one point I said to him, I said, you guys, I said, what you're explaining to me sounds like conditions worse than prison. Why would I do that? And this is what they said. They said, dude, you just got to trust us. You just got to come. We cannot explain it. I know it doesn't make any sense, and it sounds so opposite of what you think, but I guarantee if you come up, so by the end of the summer, man, you're not going to leave. It'll be the best use of your summer. And so you know what I did? You know what I did? I actually listened to them, and I did it. I went. I worked at this camp up in Wisconsin for a summer, and can I tell you what I found? I found that everything they said was exactly true. And so I did not sleep in one day that summer, not one day, up, up at 7 o'clock every morning getting the students out of the bed. I found the beds to be deeply uncomfortable. I got the lake itch, like, <laughs> often that summer, right? But here's the cool thing. By the end of the summer, I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to leave. And I found this unbelievable sense of joy and fulfillment in losing myself. You know, that summer, uh, I got to see kids give their life to Jesus for the first time. I got to be part of that, watching, watching kids make a big decision to follow Christ. I got to experience, some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have never experienced this, but I got to experience for maybe the first time what it feels like to be used by God in the life of another person. I got to experience the joy that comes along with that and the fulfillment that comes along with that. I, I, I think that summer, what I learned was I actually learned, maybe for one of the first times, the paradoxical nature of the kingdom of God. You guys know what that is? Some of you know. Here's the paradoxical nature of the kingdom of God. Matthew 16, verse 25, Jesus said it this way. He said, whoever wants to find his life is going to lose it. That is, in other words, if you live for yourself, you're actually gonna lose yourself. But here's what he said. He said, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the things of me is gonna find it. You're going to find it. And I'll just tell you, that summer, I found that to be true. Now, here's the weird thing. I went to Bible school, man. I knew that verse. I had heard that verse. I memorized that verse. I was convicted by that verse. But something changed that summer. And you know why? It's because I actually did it. I actually did something. And, and not perfectly, of course, but I got to watch the life of Jesus lived out through me. And I got to experience the blessing and the freedom that came along with it. Listen, for some of you today, um, maybe you're a person who's been following Jesus for a long time. Maybe you've been a Christian for most of your life. And maybe honestly, when I ask the question, are you living for the things that Jesus lived for more and more? Maybe for you, quite honestly, you hear that question and you're wondering to yourself, why is it that I've been following Jesus as long as I have, I've been going to church, I read the Bible, and my life really hasn't changed all that much? Why is that? Why is that? Listen, there's a whole lot of reasons that could be the case. I think you ought to talk to God about that. I really do. But could it be, could it be that maybe one of the reasons why your life hasn't changed all that much is not because you're short of hearing, not because you're short of knowing, not because you're short of knowledge or conviction. Maybe it's that you're short of doing. Maybe you're one faith step away from experiencing the blessing and the freedom that God desires for you. So why do, we, why do we live to do the things that Jesus did? 
Is it because somehow by doing those things, we're gonna be more presentable to God and more acceptable to God? No, that's not why we do it. The Bible says we are only accepted by God because of what he's done for us. So why should we live for Jesus then? Why should we do the things he said? Because when we do them, there's freedom and there's blessing that God has in store for us, right? It's just like James said, the difference, the life change, the blessing, the freedom is not found just in the hearing. It's found in the doing. It's found in the doing. Jesus said this. Jesus said, uh, the greatest in his kingdom are, the, are those who serve, that we shouldn't live to be served, we should live to serve, just like the son of God served and gave his life as a ransom for many. Have you guys ever heard that before? You've heard that. You've heard that. But is that showing up in your life in an increasing way? Not perfectly. Are you giving of your time and of your abilities and gifts that God has given you the things that matter to him the most? I'm not saying you need to quit your job and go to a summer camp or anything like that. Maybe you do. I don't know, right? What I am saying is, is your calendar reflecting that value? Is it showing up more and more? And if it's not, maybe, maybe it's time to do something. Maybe it's time to say, you know what? I've heard it. I've been convicted by it. But like the real difference is found in the doing. You know what Jesus said? You guys know what Jesus said? He said, you're more blessed to give than you are to, can you tell me? Receive, right? You've heard that. Oh, you've heard that one. But here's a real question. In our lives, is that reality showing up more and more? Are we actually living according, are we actually doing anything about that reality? Are we becoming more generous people with our resources and our time and our money? Are we actually, is that going in a way where it is growing in reflecting the priorities of God? Because the difference, the blessing and the freedom that God desires for us is found in the doing. Matthew 28, Jesus said this. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. I'll be with you to the very end of the age. You've probably heard that. If you're a person who's been in church for five minutes, you've heard that. It's a great commission. We've heard it. But the real question is, are we pursuing that more and more in our lives? Is that showing up for real? Because the truth is, we won't experience the freedom and the blessing that God desires for us until we get to the doing. Because the real difference is not in the hearing, but it's in the doing. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, I want to say thank you that when you gave us your word and when you gave us your teaching, that you didn't just give us something to tickle our ears or to elicit some type of emotional response, or you didn't just give us something that would stimulate you know, intellectual conversation and debate. That's all fine. But you gave us something that was a mirror that peers into our soul and into our heart that casts a vision for our life that you desire for us. And the reality is that if we are just mere hearers of the word and not doers, we will miss out. We will miss out on the life that you want for us. But we don't wanna do that. We don't wanna settle for a second-class life, God. We wanna experience the fullness and the blessing that you desire for us. So God, I pray that you would help us in this room, help us, especially, Lord, for those of us who follow Jesus, I pray that even in these next moments as we sing and we pray, would you show us, would you reveal to us the areas of our life where we need to take action? Would you give us the wisdom to know what to do? And then would you give us the courage, give us courage? Because it takes courage, it takes faith to live out what you said. So would you help us to be bold? Help us to be a church of people that are not just a group of hearers. Help us not to be a church of people who are full of the knowledge of what you said without being doers of it. Lord, please. It's a weird tendency we can fall into, so help us to be doers of the word, not just mere hearers. I wanna pray for the person in here who is investigating, who doesn't know you, maybe is trying to figure out if they know you or is confused, and 
God, would you, would you help that person today even have a vision to see that the life that you desire for us is not burdensome, that obeying you and obeying your commandments is not restricting, it's not restraining, it's actually the pathway to freedom. Would you help us to believe that, to believe that you're the author of life, that you're the creator of life? And because of that, that means that you know the best way to live this life. And so you love us. We wanna love you and we wanna live for you more and more. I pray that, that you would allow the life of your son, Jesus Christ, to be lived out through this group of people more and more in our community, in our world. We ask these things in Jesus' name.